Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You're about to hear a preview of Partially Examined Life supporter exclusive content. To learn how to get the whole thing, check out partiallyexaminedlife.com support. Hey, this is your Partially Examined Life nightcap. We're recording this on October 17th, 2023, which means you're getting it very, very fresh, hot off the presses. We will post this along with part two of the on bullshit discussion, as opposed to the following one on Yasha Monk's book that we've already recorded, but we should not talk about as an after talk. We'll have a part three to that later. I thought we were going to talk more about on bullshit. So I had a couple more things. G.A. Cohen, he has an article deeper into bullshit. Just the fact that Frankfurt emphasizes the process, whereas Cohen emphasizes what it is. So he says, like, I'm not so much disagreeing with him as I'm, I'm picking out a different phenomenon. So he shows, hey, what's the OED for bullshit? Well, there's two two definitions. One of them is trivial or insincere talk or writing. That's pretty much what Frankfurt's talking about. But the first one is just nonsense or rubbish. And so he's wondering about the kind of thing that could be produced as bullshit, whatever the motives might be. And he actually explicitly, this is, I was kind of reading this after the fact into Frankfurt, but connects this to continental philosophers who they might have very good motives. They're trying to tell the truth, but they find like, you know, if they put their insights in a very clear, easy to understand manner that, okay, they're not actually that cool or profound. They're obvious. So they are putting them in much harder to understand. An unclarifiable text is what Cohen calls it. That this is one of the definitions that philosophers should be most concerned with. A philosophical bullshit. And he points out, you know, that Sokol hoax paper. You know, I think this gets further into the psychology in a way because it's possible for people to think that they are talking in earnest or trying to say what's true, maybe, and yet to be engaged in bullshit. I forget if Frankfurt admits that, but what grounds that psychologically? People are capable of double think they're capable of embracing contradictions there's unconscious motivation there's conscious motivation maybe there's things in between the more you analyze the the psychology of it i think the less fixed i don't know how to put it exactly but you know what i'm saying well i mean i can imagine a scenario where somebody's perpetuating bullshit like they're repeating something or amplifying something that they saw online which in its origin according to Frankfurt's definition, was bullshit. But I I think a psychological breakdown of the same sort, kind of an analytic approach to the psychological motivations, would be required because he is clear that if you are aware of what the truth is and you're deliberately not stating the truth or what have you, that's not the same. It's not quite the same. So the question is, in what ways could you be 
ambivalent towards truth and falsity, right? Ultimately, that's what comes out as, as what, what's the foundation of bullshitting. Yeah, I mean, for the bullshitter, right, Frankfurt's account, the truth of the matter is not, they're not really interested in that. That's their enterprise that they're engaged in is not concerned with truth or falsity, although they represent themselves as doing that. And then the question is, does that always have to be conscious? So in other words, you could say someone who seems, you know, if you want to be Nietzsche and say someone who seems to be motivated by morality is in fact motivated by power. You could accuse people of hypocrisy. This is a very prevalent, important political concept. It happens in everyday life, right? We are always getting pissed off by people's hypocrisy. And we could do a whole show on that. I think there's a, I don't think there's a Stanford article on hypocrisy per se, but it comes up in several articles. And there is a big, I've, I've looked into it, there is a big philosophical literature on the concept of hypocrisy. But in other words, purporting to have values that you don't really have. Again, the psychology of it is complicated. If you're scandalized by someone's sexual behavior, and yet you behave in that way as well, secretly, so you're a big-time hypocrite, what does that mean? You may embrace the value of sexual fidelity or whatever it is, consciously, and then have some sort of exemption for yourself or some sort of or just say, okay, I'm weak and I'm doing it, but still, you know, other people shouldn't do it or whatever it is. So psychologically, the possibility of having these contradictions, I think, is really important to getting further into the subject of bullshit. Yeah, self-deception does seem to be part and parcel of talking bullshit that I, in fact, was just reading Seneca for my the class that I'm teaching, and he is often accused of being hypocritical in that he's a Stoic, but yet he was a rich senator that was basically working in the Trump administration, right? He's working in the Nero administration, which was eventually his undoing. But, you know, for a long time, uh, he thought that he could do better on the inside than on the outside, but he was, he was wildly wealthy. And so Stoicism is an open enough philosophy that you could say, well, as long as you're doing it honorably, it's okay to do any kind of job. It's okay to have any amount of wealth. And so it's, it's hard to pin down, like, how do you for sure accuse this person of being a hypocrite as opposed to just having a different take than Epictetus did, for instance, on Stoicism? So there might be equal versions of Christianity or something. You know, it's just we're very familiar with, so, with politicians who just are aggressively scolding in a way that even though somebody like Seneca had strong opinions and thought, you know, we should be devoting our lives to moral improvement was not an asshole about it, seemingly. And that's sort of what we object to is that, you know, people being holier than thou when then they are not. I mean, as we pointed out in the episode, there's always what looms over the question of whether something is bullshit is the play frame exception, the bull session exception, the aesthetic exception, where people might want to say, they don't fully mean what they're saying. They have an ironic attitude towards what they're saying or that what they're saying is in a sense mythological. It's symbolic. There's the truthiness factor as it's not Colbert. Who I, I, Colbert was on his show. What's his name? Uh, John Stewart. Daily Show. Yeah, remember? John Stewart. Yeah, John Stewart. Isn't he the, I can't remember if it's him or Colbert who came up with this whole truthiness thing. But so something feels it's emotionally true, even if it's literally false and the emotional 
truth trumps a literal falsity. So the facts don't really matter in that situation. And so it seems to be a good example of bullshit in the sense that descriptive claims don't matter. But people are concerned about the truth values of the normative claims of the and they are concerned about whatever truth and falsity is even involved in just the emotional valence of something. If you get to be outraged by an injustice and that expression of outrage and the rejection of that injustice is really, really important, it may not even matter if the, it turns out the injustice didn't even occur because it's things like it have occurred or it might occur in the future or people want to perpetrate those injustices even if they didn't that time or whatever. So the facts kind of can be put to, and I think this is a big component of double, double think, you know, you could really embrace a contradiction as long as you think that the could say, yep, I know the descriptive truth, but I, at an emotional and ethical level, I deny it. Do we think there is hypocrisy in, for instance, since I don't think we'll talk about this later, someone who is very strongly against identitarian disputes, thinks that these are all, and then is taking a strong side either way in the latest war. That is definitely, though it was not the immediate thing that people are complaining about, you know, very rightly so, is the commission of atrocities, which we should all be against the commission of atrocities. But the roots of the whole conflict are certainly identitarian. So is that a form of hypocrisy that it's, it's not okay to do identity politics unless it's an identity that I have some stake in or that it's a complicated story rooted in exceptionalism and, and justice and being the only democracy in the Mideast region, etc. There are subtle distinctions to be made that make that question complicated because identity politics, loyalty to some group, valuing group's way of life and its customs, feeling some sense of more affection for your family than for those outside of your family, more interest in your people, you know, who are your part of your nation than others. That per se doesn't necessarily fall under the, it's identity related, but it's not identity politics in the pejorative sense, at least according to the distinction that Orwell makes. We can be patriots to our country, but to our any aspect of our identity, we can be patriots to that without being nationalists in Orwell's parlance. And I am equating nationalism with identity politics. So, But if it becomes something about the superiority of the group, whether it's ethnic superiority, moral superiority, any form of superiority, then it lapses into identity politics. And, and as, as Orwell points out, we're all susceptible to it and we can never be sure that we're not doing it. And even this essay, Notes on Nationalism, in a way is anti-nationalist nationalism. I accuse myself of doing it even in this moment. It's so embedded in us psychologically that it's hard to distinguish when we're, so when we're morally outraged by something, it's hard to distinguish the extent to which we're concerned with the good and the extent to which we're thematically motivated, the extent to which we're concerned with status or power or something like that. Nietzsche is right. In a sense, in his critique, I don't think he's entirely right, but, you know, because he's trying to reduce morality to power. Those two things, power and morality, are so related in a very messy way that I'm not sure that we, any of us, ever fully know if we've entirely disentangled them and are simply concerned about justice and well-being and the good and all that stuff. 
If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminedlife.com slash support. Thanks for listening.